Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Read with Michelle Martin. She started her global business at her kitchen table. In 2010, Jamie Schmidt started with a masterclass on shampoo making that would lead her to focus on creating a hit, her natural deodorant. Seven years later, she sold her business in a nine-figure deal to Unilever. And she outlines how she did it and how you can too build your own business, that is, in her first book. It's titled Supermaker, Crafting Business on Your Own Terms. A great book so down to earth and really filled with insight, I think, that you can use to get your own business started. She is a former CEO of Schmitz, the woman who led her brand to sales in over 30 countries and onto the shelves of Target, Costco, CVS, Walmart and Whole Foods. Author of the book Supermaker, Jamie Schmidt, joins us live. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for being here. What a privilege. Now, take us back to to that moment when you you first start creating products at your kitchen table. So was this all new to you? Had you dabbled in this maker's movement before? Uh, There were a few, really a few things that led up to the launching of my business. One was... um, I was living in Portland, Oregon, USA, you know, the most creative city in the country. Mm. Um, so I was surrounded by artists and makers and musicians. And um, so there was no shortage of inspiration. And, um, you know, I really wanted to, to find my calling there and uh, my own creative outlet. Uh, so I started experimenting with a lot of different projects. And formulating natural personal care products was really um, where I found my passion and something I was really excited about. I was also pregnant at the time, so I was paying closer attention to the products I was using on my skin. Um, and I also was at, at kind of a career transition professionally. Um, I had been working my way up the corporate ladder, had a great job, but just wasn't loving my work. Mm. So this was an opportunity to, to change that. You talk about the book about your own struggles at the workplace. Did you develop dysphonia at some point, losing your voice? I did lose my voice. I had a, there's a medical condition I have. It's called spasmodic dysphonia. Mm-hmm. I sound great right now, but I get treatments of um, Botox injections into my vocal cords, which help soothe the voice. Um, so that's a, there's a lot of um, kind of background story there, but it, it's something that I struggle with. We all have our own, you know, kind of skeletons in the closet or secrets or, you know, things that, that keep us um, from being our most confident selves. And this is something that, I, that I've been dealing with, but fortunately have found some of the solutions for Okay, so I know a lot of women who are at work and, you know, they're stressed out and they want to find something different. And what I was struck by, by in this book is, you know, you don't just talk about building a business, you talk about finding your purpose. Was that part of what led you to starting your business? It was. I, you know, as I mentioned, I was working my way up the corporate ladder. I had a degree in business, which I sort of just chose because it, it made sense. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with it. Mm. Um, but I had great pay, really good benefits, had a really um, steady job. But I just didn't love the work, and I wanted to be doing something a little more meaningful. Um, and so I spent a lot of time just um, you know, pursuing different side projects. I've, I've held 22 jobs in my life, you know, wow. jumping around between, between <laughs> different things. And um, just had this refusal to settle. You know, mm. I just... Um, didn't allow it. And I knew that, you know, I, I had one life to live and I wanted to do it the right way. And so I just um, made a commitment to myself to never give up. 
That is so great. When you look back now, did you have a business plan when you were growing and starting your own business at home? I did not because it started mostly as a hobby. Um, and then I was selling at the local farmer's markets and didn't quite understand the business potential and what I was doing. Um, but once I started hearing from customers that they were loving the product, I really um, you know, then understood that I could make a business out of this. And so it was then that I you know, had to be a little more formal um, in my approach. But, but still, things started moving very quickly, and I never took the time to create a real formalized business plan. So looking back, you know, it would have been helpful, but I think it, it might have slowed me down too. <laughs> it's so great. Super inspiring. In the book, in Chapter 3, you say, say yes now and then figure out how. Did you find yourself having to do that? I mean, did it all start with that class on making shampoo while you were pregnant? Yeah, that was a big inspiration. I was really doing that just for my own personal use. I wanted, I was a big fan of a DIY culture. I wanted to make most of my foods and personal care products and things. Mm. Um, and so taking this class was just one part of that. But I realized that I just loved making um, beauty products. And I knew that there was there were more people out there who wanted clean, healthy, natural products. And so um, there, this was back in 2010. You know, there weren't a lot of brands doing this yet. It was still very, pretty new. Right. Um, and, you know, today it's, it's, it's certainly a lot more trendy. There are a lot of brands making natural products. But back then it was still a newer concept. Right. Um, so I'm proud to say, you know, my brand was really a, kind of a pioneer in this movement towards naturals. And I knew there was an opportunity to make it mainstream and you know, really cater to a mass audience. And that's what I was most excited about was to get, you know, a big group of people excited about naturals and, and expanding it beyond just a niche offering. You know, I love your book because it starts with that big idea that so many entrepreneurs are searching for. You say perfect your product and share your past passion. So part one is all about making it yours. So how did you decide that deodorant, focusing on natural deodorant, was your product. I mean, where did that recipe come from? Yeah, that was the area where I really saw opportunity to, to disrupt. And I, I knew that the deodorant aisle needed something new. Um, there were, you know, a lot of brands on the market. Hmm. Deodorant surely isn't a new concept. But I knew that um, there were a lot of, the, the only natural deodorants that were out there just didn't work. And there was a lot of frustration around them. And so I wanted to, one, create one that, you know, was effective. But then, too, I saw an opportunity in doing the branding a little bit differently, creating some innovative fragrances, um, and just have an aesthetic that didn't yet exist on store shelves for naturals. Um, so that's where I really saw opportunity. I was also making lotions and, and like you said, shampoos and soaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are great, and customers love them. But I, I knew that to really start a business, I had to do one thing and do it really well. And deodorant is where I saw that opportunity. And did you do it all yourself these days? You know, people head to Alibaba. They try to work with uh, external manufacturers sometimes. We hear of Sarah Blakely driving across the U.S. trying to find a manufacturer who would bring her ideas to mm-hmm. life. Did you rely on yourself pretty much? Yeah, I actually built out in-house manufacturing. Um, and so it started in my kitchen. You know, I was making about 20 deodorants at a time on my stove top. Um, and then as the demand started to increase, um, you know, so did my production. And so next thing you know, I was building out a, a big factory and leading you know, a team of 150 employees and having um, assembly lines and a whole, um, a whole setup that I just <laughs> otherwise had known nothing about. Right? So I had to learn manufacturing along the way. And um, I know, you know, contract manufacturers like Sarah, Sarah Blakely's story mm. is a very, very popular approach, too. 
Um, but for makers and creators and artists, I think a lot of you know these types of businesses really keep the manufacturing in-house to stay close to the product. Right. And what is a tipping point for growing a business? I mean, how do you go from kitchen table to 150 employees? Your, your products are in 30,000 stores. So was there a business moment that sort of tipped things from home business to the next level? Um, it was really a, a combination of things. You know, customer feedback was a huge part of this, just word of mouth. Um, and we had, you know, some, some early attention from influencers and, and a little bit of press, but really what it was was just customers returning for the product. But people were happy with, with the product and they wanted more. And so the retailers were hearing the demands, you know, and then they were stocking their shelves. And so it was really an organic approach to growing the company. Love that. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was no big real turning point. I wouldn't say, you know, just kind of was a steady increase in demand. How important was social media in the growing of your brand? I mean, in the early days, were you selling online or really at these markets, word of mouth? <laughs> it started at the markets in person, but then social media came pretty quickly afterwards. Um, again, this was 2010, and so Facebook was fairly new concept mm. then, and the marketing piece was um, had great potential. The ads were a lot cheaper. Not many people were using them, and so we saw really great returns that way. Um, now it's a little harder, more competitive, and, and more expensive. Um, but we did utilize social media as much as we could. It was also a great way to build community and audience and um, really encourage conversations there. All right, let's talk money. How much would you say women need if they want to start their own natural products business? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. I bootstrapped my business, so I, you know, I really grew it from, from nothing. And it's not easy by any means, but it was, I'm thankful that I grew the business that way because it was a skill that carried forward in the development of the company where I was always mindful of every dollar that I spent, you know, it encouraged me to be scrappy and um, just really um, not excessive in my spending. I think a lot of founders assume they need to raise capital early on. Mm-hmm. Was it important and for that, you to find investors to grow the company? I never did that, um, but with, but today I am an investor. You know, so it's interesting that I, you know, will be funding some of these companies. But sometimes the first thing I do is, is ask brands, you know, are you sure you need this capital? I always encourage founders to go as long as they can before mm. they start fundraising. But fundraising is trendy. It's become a sexy thing because, you know, it's what gets you headlines and stories. And um, But it's not always the healthy way to grow. I think it can be um, a disadvantage in a lot of situations. Why do you say to entrepreneurs, try to do it yourself before you aim for that big funding round? Um, I think partly because your vision or your mission for your business could change. You know, you don't want to invest a whole lot into a concept that you're not 100%, um, you know, certain of, or maybe taking the time to get the feedback from customers and really understanding where your business is going. I think you need a little bit of a cushion there and and some room and just some patience to, to really start building at your own speed. Mm. And then once you know for sure that your business is headed in the right direction and it's something that you love doing, you know, that's when the time to raise makes sense to me. She's the author of Supermaker, the book that we're reading today, Crafting Business on Your Own Terms. Author Jamie Schmidt joining us live. Um, in the book, you say that you are obsessive about detail. What qualities would you say female entrepreneurs most need to, to make it and get off the ground? Um, I think just a real love for the work that you're doing. You know, we... 
you can only go so far if you if you don't really love what you're doing. Honestly, if you don't have a passion for that's the work, true. and um, and then of course you know people supporting you. I think that's important. And whether that's a, a team of employees or even just the you know the emotional support from your family or friends and um, and just a persistence and a confidence. I think more important than anything is just a confidence in yourself and a, a belief in what you're doing. That's great to hear. Do you think businesses need to have a mission? to connect with customers, you know, the sense that you stand for something beyond soap or, you know, deodorant? Mm-hmm. I think most important is, is understanding that there is a demand for what you're doing and that people want or need a product like yours. That's the first step. And then once you've established that, you know, you can go a little deeper and then start connecting on that bigger, um, you know, more kind of emotional level and having a greater purpose behind what you're doing. How did you, you know, look out and, you know, there are all sorts of brands when it comes to soaps and natural products, right? Lush or any other brand mm-hmm. that you can think of. How did you think, uh, I'm going to make it in this market? I mean, were, were you not daunted by the just sheer saturation? I didn't allow myself to focus too much on the competition. I think that was an advantage in the early days of my business. And it's partly because I started the business more as a hobby and I didn't have big expectations for myself. Um, and then as the business started to grow, you know, of course I had to, I had to be mindful of what brands were out there and what the competitive landscape looked like. But I tried not to obsess over it too much because I saw that as a distraction. Because sometimes if you're worrying too much about, you know, what, what the other brands are doing, then you mm. start to kind of deviate from your own plan and it can be, um, it can be distracting and stressful. Yeah, that's true. So in this book, you advise or you share your ideas on building a business you say make it yours make it exceptional make an impact and make it last so now that your business has been sold and by the way how did Unilever come into the picture before I move on yeah they really caught notice of our brand because we were taking sales from some of their other brands that that were on (laughs) shelves so for example um Target I'm not sure does Singapore have Target oh no we don't have Target no, well, it's a big retailer here mm. in the U.S., and yeah. um, they carry all the major brands. And when we launched, and, and so that chain, um, you know, Unilever could see that some of their other brands that were selling in there were, were losing um, revenue. <laughs> and so they start to pay attention to those things, right? And they think, who is this, this brand, you know, the Schmitz brand taking, taking our sales? And so, you know, they pay attention, um, and they can't always replicate the brand. You know, of course, they have the resources to do so, but they don't have – a loyal customer following and just the brand equity. And so rather than trying to create it themselves, they, they choose to acquire. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, speaking of brand, were you focused on, you know, starting a brand and growing the brand, whether it's on a label and what it stands for right from get-go? Or did that have many iterations along the way? It had a few iterations. Um, in the, the earliest days, it was a very kind of DIY aesthetic, um, which was appropriate for the farmer's markets. Um, but then when I recognized uh, the opportunity in some of these bigger retailers, um, I decided that I needed to polish it up a bit and really have um, an aesthetic that was a bit more, uh, could cross over into, you know, different types of retailers. But I still, it was important for me still to be unique and to stand out and just to have branding that didn't yet exist. Um, but I think over time, you know, any brand to be relevant has to continuously make tweaks and updates to their branding and their messaging and um, just really, you know, every element of the business, we always have to make sure that we're, we're staying relevant. And where are you now with the brand? It's been bought by Unilever, Unilever for nine figures. So are you still connected with this brand? Yes, 
yeah, I'm still working with them. Um, you know, I have my name on it, which is great. So I'll always be connected that way. Um, and then as the founder, you know, the brand still sees the value in my participation. So I'm working as their spokesperson, supporting their international expansion um, and some of the product development. Uh, so it's something I'm really proud of. And um, the brand's doing great. You know, they continue to innovate and stay competitive. And I'm really excited about the future. So exciting. It's a, just a terrific book. Before we let you go, what do you say to the community of would-be makers at their kitchens in Singapore and, and they're looking at your success so inspired? What would you like to say to them? Oh, yes. You're, well, you're in a beautiful position if you have a, you know, a hobby or some sort of passion project that you're, that you're playing around with. And um, I'd say take your time with it. A lot of people think they have to rush into a business and they get stressed out thinking there's certain revenue targets and a certain amount of money you need to make by certain dates, but just take your time and kind of go with the flow and, you know, everybody goes at their own pace and just try to stay focused on what you're doing and believe in yourself. She's the author of the book Supermaker, Jamie Schmidt. Jamie, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Michelle. That was fun. Real pleasure. Again, the title, Supermaker, Crafting Business on Your Own Terms. I think any aspiring entrepreneur needs to read this. It's amazingly useful and also really engaging. Almost reads like a novel, you know. You're going to feel like you're on the edge of your seat cheering for Jamie Schmidt. As you know, she's going to go on to astounding success. So that is my recommended read for you today, Supermaker. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.com. SG or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.